We are thankful, though. It's good to be with you and we'll give God glory and trust the Lord will be pleased to bless His Word among us. I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 103, please, this morning. I'd like to focus your attention on that portion of God's Word this morning as we particularly consider Thanksgiving in view this Thursday. The reality of it is a national holiday, as Brother Kevin mentioned just a little while ago, something that I believe is believers we can take seriously with the opportunity that's ours to remember the living God for <coughs> mercies to us as a country and he has been good to us and as our brother also expressed as a country we've been so wayward we've been so uh, really unthankful as a people for what God has done and his great goodness to us but we're thankful that we as those who know him have the privilege of honoring Him and of giving glory to Him and recognizing the benefits and blessings that are His. And that's what this Psalm 103 celebrates. If I could give you a title, I would borrow from the words of, I believe it's Brother Henry Light who wrote a hymn, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. And that's what David is excelling in here as he gives God glory. He is rejoicing in Praising the great God who has loaded us with benefits and given to us such abundance of blessing. I want to read the whole psalm in your hearing and then we'll think together about it as we would work our way through it. But if you would notice these words and we find the inscription reads a psalm of David. And then we read in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him, and His righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those that remember His commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye His angels, that excel in strength, that do His commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye His hosts, ye ministers of His that do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. May our God be pleased today to add His blessing, 
his stamp and seal to this portion of his word. And may he make it to be real and rich to each one of us for his glory. May we just pause before him in prayer again. Father, we bow in your holy presence in the name above every name, the name of him whose blood was shed that sinners might be bought, that sinners might be purchased and brought back to the air God, redeemed as we read even in these words of Psalm 103. We pray today, Father, that thou wouldst bless thy word. May you honor your son in it. May you benefit our souls by it. Father, would you speak to any that would listen who are lost, who are here in this meeting place, or who would later listen remotely. Father, we pray that you would grant now that we could hear your voice in the Holy Scriptures, thy blessed word of truth. In Christ's name, amen. Well, again, we give you by way of a title, Blessed or praised my soul, the King of Heaven. That's what David is doing here. He recognizes the Lord as the King. Particularly, we see that in the latter part of the psalm. And he recognizes as well the need for himself to praise the Lord. And that's something that as we consider Thanksgiving Day coming this Thursday, fourth Thursday of November, a national holiday for I think about 160 years in the life of our country. It had moved around I think prior to that time, but that day was set and that's been some years now. It's rightly a national holiday because We owe God glory. We owe God praise. We owe God thanksgiving individually and as a people, as a nation, corporately. We ought to be a people who give Him honor and who give Him glory. And that's what David is doing here as he gives to us this statement of praise, this psalm of praise that reflects something of the glory of God in a real way. As we look at it, I want to break it down in in three parts together with you. And I'd ask you to notice, first of all, with me, verses 1 through 5, what we have there, I'm going to present it as a soliloquy. A soliloquy. Allow me to explain that term in just a moment. But uh, then I want us to notice as well in verses 6 through 18 the survey that is given of God's dealings. And then finally verses 19 through 22 there's a conclusion. The psalm closes with a summons. A summons to everything that has breath to praise the Lord. Now that's the way it's stated in Psalm 150 but that's really the upshot of these closing words. I want us to start, though, with that personal aspect of it in verses 1 through 5 as David speaks to himself and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. I call it a soliloquy because, as some of you may remember, from those dreaded days of high school when you had to read Shakespeare, some of you want to forget them and never hear them mentioned again, but you remember there were certain parts in his plays where a single actor actress would come out on stage, no one else present on stage, and they would engage in really a conversation with themselves, a soliloquy. Hamlet's is probably the famous, famous, to be or not to be. That is the question. Those soliloquies, though, are really something that we all seem to engage in talking to ourselves. The only problem is, so often what we have to say to ourselves should have never been said in the first place. We talk to ourselves, but we don't really benefit ourselves by what we say. 
But David's soliloquy here, his address to himself, is something that I need to do regularly. I do well to do it daily. We'd all do well to do it daily. For David speaks of blessing the Lord. He speaks of giving God praise, giving God honor and glory for what He has done for us. And as David celebrates that, he has some good words to say to himself. Again, some of our words, they fail, they fall short. Talk to ourselves, worry about things, and uh, most of the things we worry about never come to pass, never need to bother us to begin with. But here David does something that really reflects what we sung this morning. Count your blessings. David is doing that. So let's notice, please, his words and how he first of all encourages himself in it in verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's an address to himself. We can think of the soul particularly. But in effect, David is saying, Self, get busy and start praising the Lord. And then he adds, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. David wants to be fully engaged in the matter, in the holy business of praising God. So often we're not fully engaged, are we? We're not engaged maybe mentally. We're not engaged physically. But David wants the whole of his being, all that he is and has, to be directed in the praise of God. All that is within me, bless his holy name. And of course the name here represents God in his being. God in his person and character. And that's the object of David's praise. He wants it to be directed to the living God. He wants the name of God to be seen to be worthy of glory, worthy of honor. And that's the acceptable kind of praise we should render. David's not here blowing his own horn. Some people love to quote Second Hezekiah 6.6. 6. I don't know if you know that scripture, but you recognize it's not one if you heard me right. He that tooteth not his own horn shall not have his horn tooted. And that's the way a lot of people live today, you know. They want to toot their own horn. They want to speak in terms of being self-made men and women. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, all I am and have I owe to the living God. Everything, And I've got to join, if I would do rightly, I've got to join in saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Everything about you, David Morris, get busy. Get to work, son. And worship and praise and bless and honor the living God. And that's where David's heart is. The Spirit of God, so working in him, has directed him to recognize how worthy our God is of praise and thanksgiving so he goes on to say bless the Lord O my soul and then a reminder and forget not all his benefits again the words we sung are so appropriate to this count your blessings name them one by one you see there's so many things that God has done that I can't really count them all up but I ought to try And forget not all. That is, don't forget one of those benefits. One of the blessings is given. Has He given you a measure of health? I know sometimes we have struggles of health. And yet, there's... For 
every one of us here at least because of the fact that we're present. There's a reasonable measure of health. It may be we've come through a brief sickness like Doug and Kathy just had this past week. Brother Ken, September, shared with me he had COVID. It may be it's something more extended like Brother Gary or Sister Gail's been through. Something that has kind of hung on. But God's given us strength and health so that we can gather with His people and we can say in the words of Dina Henry Alford, Come ye thankful people, come. We can gather because He's worthy. God's been good. We need to thank Him. David says, don't forget my soul. Don't forget self. Don't forget all His benefits. And then he begins to enumerate some. Can't enumerate them all, but he begins to enumerate some in this soliloquy. And he says to himself, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. These are five blessings that he enumerates that reflect some of the benefits that we can list that God has given us in that soliloquy that we address ourselves with so that we can direct our praise to Him and our blessing to Him. As David does so, I just want you to notice them with me in some measure. And I I appreciate the word all in both cases in verse 3. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. How good that is to know for every saved person, everyone who's come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, that every sin has been cleansed. I love the way John speaks about it in 1 John 1. He says, If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we have fellowship with Him, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with Him and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. I'm glad for that word all, aren't you? If I had one sin still clinging to me, still on my account, still on my record, that'd be enough to damn me. That'd be enough. You see, from the standpoint of human justice, if you paid your taxes, you've kept every traffic law, and you've done everything else that's required of you by the government, but you murdered someone, that one crime's enough to send you to prison or to the electric chair, right? One sin's enough to damn me. I need, therefore, the forgiveness of God for all my iniquities. Now, I'll say more about that as we move on to the middle part of these five things David lists or enumerates. But then he says, Who healeth all thy diseases? Now, that was something that Israel was told by God in their case that if they obeyed the covenant, none of the, none of the diseases of the Egyptian would cling to them. But for every child of God, I would say in the wide perspective, it's true. Because for the child of God in a resurrected body, all their diseases are going to be healed. Praise God. What will it be when we get over yonder? I don't know. Because I have not seen nor heard nor entered into the heart of man 
I don't know because the Bible says it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Hallelujah. And that, brothers and sisters, will mean no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. Hallelujah. I'm trying to control myself. But isn't it good to think about the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, who healeth. All that is Jesus. And then David comes to this, which is the, the third, the central thing. And so often it seems within uh, the Old Testament, that central piece of the, of the uh, list is so often the most important. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. The word redeem in the Hebrew Testament here is the word gaal. We get our word goel from that. Some of you remember that word goel. It's the word for kinsman redeemer. And that word is in its uh, verbal form here. And it speaks of what God does on behalf of His people. And in a unique way, it tells us what has taken place in the gospel, in the good news. For you see, in the case of the kinsman redeemer, the goel, who redeems. What he does is he pays the cost of court for an indicted relative so that that indicted relative can go free. In other words, the kinsman would act on behalf of a relative and that relative had charges of court against him. And that kinsman redeemer would pay those costs of court Now what does that involve? Well, for every sinner of Adam's race, we have charges against us. And we have a penalty against us. The penalty is the wrath of God forever under the lake of fire. Brother Gary referred to it in his prayer. Something we don't like as far as our own desire, but God's justice demands it. The payment of the penalty of sin. What happened? Well, in order to save His people, Christ, the Son of God eternal, by a virgin womb became a man. And in becoming a man by a virgin womb, He lived perfectly. The command to love God with all His heart, soul, mind, and strength, which you and I have broken, He kept. The command to love our neighbors, ourselves, which we've broken, He kept. And having measured up fully to God's righteous demand, He was able to lay down His life in the room instead of sinners to pay their penalty so that they might, in believing on Him, be saved and be free and be redeemed. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells the message of good news about the one who redeems my life from destruction. You see, I was going down to the pit. I was going down to the destruction of hell. But Christ Himself bore the penalty, paid the price that I could never pay in an eternity under the wrath of God in hell. That's why He's the only Savior. That's why today, if there are any who don't know Him in this meeting place, I'd say to you, run to Christ. Don't wait till the message is over. Lay hold of Him right now. In faith and repentance, go to Him. And say, that preacher saying what your word says, that you say you came to redeem sinners. I'm a sinner. I want to be redeemed. Lord Jesus, please have mercy on me. I believe He delights to do that. Because He says in Ezekiel 18, our God says, to the sinner, why will ye die? 
And he goes on to say, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn himself. That's the heart of God towards sinners. And he's declared it there through his prophet, his servant Ezekiel in Ezekiel 18. So we can rejoice in that reality. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. The gospel chorus picks it up so well when it says, He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, the whole day long. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. David is celebrating that. David knew what it was to face his sin. He'd been confronted with it, remember, by Nathan the prophet. He knew what it was to confront his sin and be faced by it. And he knew what it was for God to say, I have pardoned. I have pardoned. I'm glad for that. We'll see that again as we move on into that survey that follows this. But then David adds, Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. I was in a restaurant some time back and I saw a little girl. She was celebrating her birthday and she had a little tiara on. You know, she had one of those little crowns on, her princess crown. I, when, I, when I asked the mother, she said, yes, she's having her birthday. Oh, so she's queen for a day, I said. I don't know if you noticed my crown. <laughs> I'm not talking about this bald head. <laughs> I'm talking about love and kindness and mercy. The mercy of God, the tender mercy that God shows. That's going to be a theme of the survey. In Hebrew, it's the, the word chesed. Chesed, you got to say it right. you got to kind of clear your throat at the beginning there. But, but that's the word that speaks about the mercy of God that crowns the life of those who know Him. And, and it's seen as well by those who don't know Him. Not fully, but even that mercy of God toward those who know Him not, it's seen because of the grace that He shows and the gifts that He gives, the blessings that He bestows. God does so. And then David adds that final part in which he encourages himself in the soliloquy. Who satisfieth thy mouth, verse 5, with good things, so thy youth is renewed like the eagles. I was preaching in Kingsport one time up in Tennessee, northeast Tennessee, and there were some young ladies there, and one of them told me they listened together to me, and they were good listeners. They said, it seems like you mentioned food every sermon. <laughs> But when I think about satisfying my mouth with good things, my boys and I had a cheese pizza with bacon on it on Friday night. Ooh, I'd love some more of that right now. I'll tell you what. Don't y'all get your mind on food. It's hard for me to not keep you from doing that in. But, you know, there are some things I love. I love fried pork chops. Who satisfies thy mouth with good things. Think about the fact that God gave us taste buds. You know, if everything tastes like cottage cheese, we could still probably manage. But I don't like cottage cheese. Some folk do. That's fine. But He gave us taste buds, but not only that, He satisfies our mouth with good things. Think about the richness of flavor that God has put in His world. Not just the richness of color that comes through the eye gate, but the richness of flavor that we have that we can taste with the taste buds He's given us. God has been so good, and we ought to praise Him. We ought to give Him glory. 
David moves on from that soliloquy though in which he addresses himself to give us a survey particularly focusing on God's dealings with Israel here. And as he does that, he makes this statement. Just notice a few of the verses with me. The Lord executed, verse 6, righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Let's just stop there for a moment. David again now, by inspiration of God's Spirit in these words, points to a survey of God's dealings, particularly with Israel. And as he does so, he speaks of how God showed them uh, His goodness in delivering them when they were oppressed, when they were there in Egypt, and they were under the heel of Pharaoh and his taskmasters. He brought them out by blood and a high hand. And then he says this in verse 7, that I see a contrast in. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. And what I see there is a distinction. Israel saw his acts, but in Psalm 95 God said, They have not known my ways. He made them known to Moses though. We saw this earlier in the last hour in Psalm 145 and I I want to direct you back to a passage we looked at in that last hour. Exodus chapter 34. David here by inspiration quotes some words that God spoke to, to Moses. Not in full. He doesn't quote them fully but he makes reference to them as is true throughout much of the Old Testament after God made this revelation to Moses. Exodus chapter 34. And I want to give you again the background uh, to this passage. In in Exodus, remember, Moses has been receiving the law on Mount Sinai from God's hands. As that's happened, while Moses is on the mount, the people are down at the foot of the mountain and they tell Aaron, make us gods. As for this man Moses, we know what not what's become of him. And so they, they... Aaron fashions this bull god of gold. And they begin to worship it, dance around it. They engage in idolatry and they engage in immorality. They get into all kinds of sin. And when Moses comes down, Moses sees that and he breaks the tablets of stone that God's given His law to Israel. And then God says, Moses, I want you to take those people you brought out of Egypt up to to Israel, up to Canaan. Moses begins to plead and pray, Lord, if you don't go with us, we're not going to go. God says, all right, I'll go. And then while Moses has God's ears, we said last hour, Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And God says something that's very revealing to Moses. He said, Moses, you can't, you can't see my glory fully. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and cover my hand over it. And then when my hinder parts go by, I'll let you see my glory. Again, some call it the afterglow. And as God did that, what God did according to Exodus 34, 5, and 6 is He came down and declared His name to Israel. 
He proclaimed his name. Notice it please. Exodus 34 and the words there we find in verses 5 and 6. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And it will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Notice Moses' response in verse 8. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. He gave God glory as he saw God revealing himself, making known his name, who he is in his person and character to Moses. Well, David, by inspiration here, as he reflects on God's dealings with Israel, his acts, and how Moses, God made his way known to him, he goes back to Exodus 34 and picks up on this reality. Again, in those words of Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. And ultimately we see that fully in the words that John writes in the prologue to his gospel. John chapter 1 verse 14 as he speaks about Christ the Word in those opening verses. He says in verse 14 of John 1, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. We've seen it though in a way different from Moses. We beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. You see, that's what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. That fullness of grace, but also truth. God showing mercy and grace to the sinner in forgiveness and yet not at the expense of His truth. God upholding His truth in such a way as that He fully punishes sin But He still shows grace to the sinner because He punished that sin in the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And that, brothers and sisters, is what ultimately God was revealing to Moses there at Sinai, there in the mount. And as Miss Crosby wrote against the backdrop of that scene in Exodus, He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock and covers me there with His hand. That's the grace of God in the gospel that shields us from what would consume us of the presence of our God who is a consuming fire. David here celebrates it. He goes on to speak about our God in those words of verse 9 that also reflect Exodus 34. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He's not always angry. But he doesn't hold back his anger. There will be a time when his anger falls one day. He holds it back now toward the sons of men and his long suffering. But one day it will fall. David then goes on to think about this mercy of God in a specific specific way. That's not too hard to say if you try. He talks about it in the terms of God's forgiving mercy or God's pardoning mercy. Notice it there in verses 10 through 12. 
He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Just as David celebrated back in those words of soliloquy, of verses 1-5, through five, that He redeemeth our life from destruction. He keeps us from going down down to the pit. So here he celebrates the forgiving mercy of God, the pardoning mercy of God by which we are kept and which he doesn't deal with us after our sins. You see, the reality of my life is when I think of my sin, I deserve to lick up the fires of hell forever under the wrath of God. I deserve his judgment. And yet, I'm forgiven today. And there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. How is that so? Because He took my place. He paid that price. Hallelujah. And that, brothers and sisters, is something David realized. And he speaks about it in terms of the heaven being high above the earth. I mentioned the Webb telescope last hour. They say it's able to give us more understanding of space uh, than the Hubble. You know how high the heavens are above the earth? If you do, you're the first one. (laughs) Because we can't tell how high they are. They're light years. Light years. And not just a few light years. That's how great His mercy is toward those who fear Him. And the forgiveness He shows us in Christ... And then David gives us that classic, that great illustration of verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now if David had said as far as the north is from the south, you and I would be like the old Dodge commercial. We'd be in a heap of trouble. But as far as the east is from the west. You see, if you, if you go north to a certain point, what's going to happen? You start going south again, right? But as Rudyard Kipling, the poet, said concerning east and west, east is east and west is west, and ne'er the twain, ne'er the two shall meet. And that's what God has done for sinners through His Son and His shed blood. He's made it so that He's removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. If you got on a plane this afternoon in Raleigh-Durham or over in Greensboro or down at Charlotte-Douglas, if you got on a plane and you started heading east toward Italy, toward Europe, and you kept on heading east, even when you got to Hawaii and the International Dateline, you'd still be going east. If you got on Los Angeles Airport, God help you if out in Los Angeles, pardon me. But if you got on one and started going west and you kept going west till you got back to Los Angeles, you'd still be going west. So far as He removed the sins of His people, all who trust Him from them, those who fear Him, brothers and sisters, that's great mercy. That, brothers and sisters, is the kind of mercy He shows in His forgiveness. But not only that, the psalmist celebrates as well the mercy of God that is a fatherly or paternal mercy. As he says there in the words of verses 13 and 14, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. 
He's got a fatherly love, a tender, paternal regard. Now I realize some fathers haven't been the best fathers. Some fathers have not been fathers at all, but that's not our father. He's a good, good father. Thank the Lord. He pities his children. I can remember Terry and I, we started uh, our family when we were over at Gospel Baptist Church Parsonage on Osceola Road. Stacy came in 1985 and we had my three sons for a while. Then we had our girl, Sarah. Then we had two more boys. <coughs> and we got, by the way, now two grandsons and two granddaughters. Terry's glad it's leveling out in the second generation. <laughs> but I can remember one time Stacy was out on the swing set in the backyard there at Gospel Parsonage Yard. He had fallen. And, and it, I don't know if he scraped against one of the swings or the uh, pedal that was on the, the swing, you know, with the seat. I don't know what happened for sure, but he was bleeding on his lip. And I had never really seen him bleed before that. He was between a year, year and a half. And when I saw that, my heart sank. Because of what God puts in fathers. Brothers and sisters, he's a better father than I've ever begun to be. He pities his children. I realize sometimes we think differently. God's dealings with us are sometimes seemingly difficult. And we think some things that are not good thoughts to think about our father. But he's a good father. He loves his children. We want to know how much he loves us. We have to look at the cross when He gave the Son of His love, the darling of His bosom up for us. That's how much He loves us. And let us weigh that fatherly care by Calvary, not by our circumstances. Because sometimes I look at Him through the spectacles of circumstance and my nose gets out of joint. But oh, that I'd look at Him rightly. He pities His children. He remembers that we're dust. He knows our frame. I I heard Adrian Rogers use a a great illustration one time of that that I want to share with you. He said that, you know, a lot of trucks have a certain frame on them, weighted a certain way, ton and a half, two ton, etc., three ton. He said that God knows our frame. So what does it say in 1 Corinthians 10.13? He'll never put on us what? More than we can bear. And He'll with with the temptation make a way to escape that we may be able to bear. So that's His promise. But Mr. Rogers used it in a good way. He said sometimes we pull up with our ton and a half truck at the scales of emotion. And we think, boy, He's just put on me two tons today. And he says we don't need to pull up at the t- of the frame, the scales of emotion or the scales, weight scales of experience. Always have to go by the scales of truth, because God is faithful. And that's the last thing that He brings out in these words that speak about God's uh, mercy toward us, and that is that His mercies are faithful or perpetual mercies. Notice verse 15 As for man, his days are as grass as a flower in the field so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, over the grass, and it is gone and the place thereof shall know it no more. And that's like us. All flesh is grass, Isaiah 40 declares. Notice the contrast though. The bud of verse 17 But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him. And His righteousness unto children's children 
to such as keep His covenant, and to those that remember His commandments to do them. God's mercy stretching back from eternity past to eternity to come toward His people. You know, I love that song. I'm sure you've heard it. When He was on the cross, I was on His mind. I love the song. Speaks about how the Savior, when He was dying for us, had us on His mind and on His heart. He looked ahead in time because if He was on the cross, I was on His mind. But I'd like to go back a little further. I'd like to go back. You know, child of God, you've never been off His mind. You were on His mind from everlasting to everlasting. Ain't that good news? preaching a black church last week. I could have said that. I said a little different and there would have been a little different response. Right? But we've always been on His mind. I, I like to think about that with the case of the dying thief. When He said, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. When thou comest into thy kingdom. And I can just imagine the Lord Jesus saying, He didn't, but I can just imagine Him saying, well, I remember you. I've never forgotten you. You were on my mind before time began. You were on my heart before the foundations of the world. And now we've come to this moment and when we enter glory, you're going to enter there with me. Think about it. The first person to enter the glory with the Lord Jesus Christ was a dying thief. Why? Because His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting on them that fear Him. All He said was, Lord, remember me. Now, I wouldn't hang my eternity on my memory. <laughs> a lot of people say I've got a good memory, but i got a few friends who can tell you about the clothes I've left at their house, the different <laughs> things. But oh, you can trust yourself to His memory. Because His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him. That's good news, brothers and sisters. David speaks about then this survey of God's dealings, but from there he goes on in verses 19 to 22 to close out with a summons. A summons to all creation, all the orders of creation to praise Him. He makes this statement that speaks about our sovereign King in verse 19. The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. That's something that's good to know. Our God, as we pointed out even in the uh, last hour in Psalm 145, our God is King. He rules. We reminded ourselves of it this morning in the words of Mr. Maltby Babcock in the hymn. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seem also strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. One day the kingdom of this world shall become the kingdom of our God and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. David celebrates the fact that God is King. His throne, He rules over all. 
He's prepared that throne. And from that he goes on to call for universal worship. You'll find the word all here toward the end of the end of the portion. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. There's a command to the created celestial beings we know as angels to worship him. I love the doxology. <clears throat> Some churches, they still sing it after the offering. You remember it though. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I like that. I like telling those angels to get busy praising Him. I like telling all creatures here below, including myself, the same thing. And notice those words, though, that widen beyond the, beyond the angelic beings. Verse 21, Bless ye the Lord, all ye His host, ye ministers of His that do His pleasure. Bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, what are the places of His dominion? Well, we've read that in verse 19. The Lord has prepared His throne in the heavens and His kingdom ruleth over all. So everywhere you go, it's God's world. It's God's earth. It's God's creation. So what's the call? That all His works in all places of His dominion bless the Lord. But David closes on that personal note. Bless the Lord, O my soul. If all creation one day is going to join to praise Him, Revelation 5 says it is, then what should I be doing? I ought to be learning now. I ought to be well studied in praising Him and bringing honor and glory to Him. So brothers and sisters, may this Thursday be a real Thanksgiving day for every one of us. But may every day be a real Thanksgiving day for every one of us. For He's worthy. Even on my worst day, He's worthy of my praise. Let's pray. Father, we ask You now to bless Your Word, to bless each one here. We're grateful, Father, for the presence of each one. We ask Thy Spirit would now take Thy Word and suit it to each heart, to the glory of Christ, to the honor of Thy name, Father. His worthy name we pray. Amen.